0: So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But, you? but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? we talked about this. People relate to this. All right. Like I said on a, the last couple podcasts, I'm going to start the intro out differently. I haven't figured out what I'm going to say, but right now I'm at the Snyder world headquarters which means the office in my house. Uh my wife's not home yet, she's working out, but if the dogs start barking, I'm apologizing now cuz I got two giant polar bears. But I have and I've been looking forward to this one super long time friend. Uh we have kind of a checkered past, but the dude's a fuck uh freaking stud. Uh hell of a hunter and good dude and that's uh Mark Smith. What is up, dude?
1: Hey man, how you doing, Snyder? Good to I, be on the phone
0: with you, buddy. I almost dropped an F bomb off in the first 30 seconds. I'm trying my best here. Um <laughs> <laughs> i'm Would doing
1: good anything different my friend <laughs> i'm trying to turn the other cheek
0: no i'm just kidding uh i uh i'm good man it's cold up here right now it's like 15 and there's probably a couple feet of snow um outside which uh the polar bears love it but things are good things are good
1: yeah uh it's a little chilly down here in texas today windy it was 80 degrees and calm and sticky yesterday today air cleared out cold and dry and winds blowing but you know cold's a relative term, it's like in the 40s maybe, maybe <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure that was your high today, huh?
0: No, no, our high was like 14 no, no, it's cold up oh. here, yeah, no it's yeah, <laughs> sure. it's really, it was uh, negative 35 not too long ago
1: that's, I, I miss a lot of stuff about Colorado and, not, and you'll see me when I'm having a melancholy moment I had one today, man, I put some Rocky Mountain High music to a picture and throw on my Instagram and I'm just feeling that good old but man, that's like, I love Colorado from like May till September, <laughs> maybe early October, but I don't miss that cold minus blowing out on the plains where I live at all, man.
0: Yeah, it, uh, it, it is cold, but for, for those who haven't, uh, listened in, in the, in the spirit of honesty, um, I, Mark and I had done a podcast already and I did four other ones along with Mark's five total and none of them recorded. So, um, that sucks. Cause I really liked the first podcast, but I'm really hoping we can knock it out of the park on this one. But Mark and I have known each other since 99, 2000 timeframe and hunted together. Some shot tournaments together. Some, um, and, and, and kind of a, a, good, a weird, um, history. I, you know, obviously big penis syndrome, like talking crap back and forth or, or maybe more me than you. But, um, recently mm-hmm. you and I had to talked and, you know you were super you were super cool and you're like man i wish the best for you and it was a good like a hug it out type of a talk and you know ahead of time before you know before we get going on the podcast i should have been a better friend to you mark um you were always good to me i shouldn't have believed what people had said that you had said and a bunch of other childish stuff so i really appreciated that conversation we had on the phone before we kicked the podcast off and and uh you know just dude you've been a good dude and i appreciate it
1: Yeah, no, man, and I'm super, not to be condescending, because that's not how I am, but as a friend and as a person, like I told you, I'm super proud of you and what you've accomplished with that brand, what you've taken Kafaro to, and just, I I, I can tell from afar, and that's why I wanted to reach out, and that's why I started pinging you again on Instagram, even after all the gossip and crap, was that I could just tell you're in a good place, and all the things I was mad about you for, or old, old things that kept coming back that were, they were just outdated. It was almost high school girl stuff, right? So the 1% of your listeners listen to this, that know me and you both know exactly what we're talking about. The rest are going, what are these guys even talking about? It's just, we were friends. We grew apart. Some things got said that shouldn't have got said. Feelings got hurt. We bro hugged it out once. And then, and then the bullshit kept going on. And then what we found out was other people were feeding into it and then enjoying the fact that we would get mad at each other and then and then when we both realized like one day man I'm just I woke up and I was like I don't even remember why I'm supposed to not like him I came I was looking at your Instagram looking at your photographs and your hunting and all the success you're having and I and I just you know I'm a man of faith I swear a little but I love Jesus and I'm, and I'm a believer and and I'm like man I don't remember why I'm supposed to be mad at him. I'm supposed to even love my enemies and and Aaron Snyder is not my enemy. We're just, we're, we're listening to people talk shit and you know what? Those days are done. And I just, I chose to love you. I chose love. I choose to love this guy and I choose to appreciate what he's doing. And, and, and bottom line is, even if you said everything I heard you say, I don't care. Because there's nothing to it. There's no validity to anything. Is like you said, it was old crap, and vice versa. And when me and you had a couple conversations now, realizing that it's just stupid. Let's put it behind us. Because I've I've got my own brand going my way, doing my own thing, doing great at it. You are, and we're both mature enough to an age where we can absolutely appreciate appreciate each other's accomplishments without any jealousy or any mm-hmm. that bullshit. And that's where we're at, guys. So I mean, but me and Aaron are buzz again. It's going to be that way because we have a pack now that if you, what you tell it, you tell them, what's going to happen. If somebody walks up to you and say, Hey man, did you hear what Mark said? Tell them what's going to happen?
0: Well, I'll add a little bit more context to that because a lot of time, you know, people, Hey, you know, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I'm like, that dude talks about shit, uh, shit about me all the time. Fuck him and add some stuff to it as it turns out. And I've handled a couple of things in the last 24 hours. A lot of those things weren't true that it was, was told to me that you had said, right? And I'm like, all right, Mark, I can tell you what I've said about you and I can tell you when I said it and I can tell you when that was, you know, that was 20 years ago is what I would be referring to. Or, same thing Mark said was, hey, look, man, if someone walks up to you and said, Aaron said this, I would strongly encourage you to call me and put it on speaker and we're going to handle it yeah. right there. And yes. as, I, as I say that, I know... Mark and I have not hunted together for 22 years ish, 21, something like two decades. We'll just round it up, round it to two decades. So one of the things like, um, you know, with this, that, that, uh, you know, Mark is a funny fucker to hunt with, I will say that. And a killer, right? Was people instigating things, me not being a good adult about it or a good human and, and getting riled up and say, oh, yeah, well, and then here we go, right? And when I should have just shut up. And so I'm like, look, Mark, call me, right? Cause I cannot tell you 100% when somebody approaches you with something that I said, I will 100% say, oh, yeah, I said that. or. I have no idea what this dude's (laughs) talking about. I I don't one person individually or specifically, I'm not going to bring up was totally like out of the blue. Like, you know, when I say out of the blue, like totally off the spectrum, right. Never hunted with, with, uh, you know, didn't really know Mark or me at the same time or whatever, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. He got me all riled up. I said some shit, whatever. Like it's my bad, but if that happens again, I'm just gonna be like, hey, I have to actually have Mark's phone number, and I'm gonna call him and see if he actually said what you said he said and figure that out, which <laughs> it is what it is. We did a trial run last night, Danny Ferris called me he's like you got you gotta fuck with Mark text him and say, "Hey, I just got off the phone with I just tell him that you just got off the phone with me and he was talking shit already. I'm like, okay, I can do that what." <laughs> <laughs> work. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Danny's funny.
1: But I but I responded, I said bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. But I know Danny too and I know instigator. Uh, yeah, he's instigator. Oh he's funny. Uh, he's a good dude, man. But we're in a good place, man, and, and I'm excited to talk about some long range shooting, some three D days and whatever you want to talk about, man. But I'm glad they get all of that garbage out a hundred percent in the open and behind us because man, uh we, we had some good times together, man. I'm looking forward to some more.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I, and I got to say, before we move on to long-range shooting, well, this is going to be kind of long-range. When I first met Mark, I was not the hunter that I am now. And Mark had more animals under his belt, better hunter. I can't say better shot. I don't – I will say – Generally, on the 3D course, I was the victor. On the hunting course, I was definitely not the victor. Mark, Mark would whoop my ass yeah. hunting. <laughs> and I yeah. it, at one point in time, I'm pretty sure Mark saw me shoot an antelope in the horn and then chuck a Carter Colby release about 300 yards, about like the hammer of Thor. And I had to come <laughs> back. I'm like, dude,
1: you got another release? <laughs> and try to borrow one of his. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think you did. And that, well, I, yeah, I, you did. And now now I'm remembering that a lot better. Back in those days, um, me and Snyder were jumping my wife's minivan on a Saturday while she was, you know, she she was working. And she'd be off and I only had one vehicle. I think you only had your glass company work vehicle. So we jumped in my wife's minivan. And we would ride around out all over eastern Colorado door knocking. Legit, though, like legitimately door knocking. We'd seen antelope in the field. We'd drive until we, we didn't have Onyx or any of that stuff back then, right? We, we would go knock on doors, and they might send us to that house across the road. We'd go knock on that door. Hey, you have an antelope in your field. Can we shoot it? They'd either say, go kick rocks, or they'd say, yeah, kill it right now, whatever. You know, just close the gate behind you. People were super cool back then. So, me Aaron, I had already killed one. Um, Well, I killed one the first year we hunted together. It was the second year we were hunting together for antelope, I believe, is when this happened. I think you were shooting a Matthews Q2 XL or a Conquest 4. It was a big, long-ass target model, you know, quote-unquote target model Matthews, uh, but it was camo for sure. And you had started shooting, um, I think it was a Spike, a Carter Spike, back tension release where there's no hinge to it. You just, you just hook onto this spike thing and (laughs) anyway, you were going to, you were going to have a deadlier shot that you could hold on the antelope at long, long range. And, uh, that morning you come stomping back to the car and you said, uh, I, cause I let you out to go do a stalk, and you come stomping back and said, um, I'm pretty sure I bounced my relief off that antelope side. Um, I'm done with this effing thing. Do you have another one? And I think I had another Scott, um, monk mongoose an old original Scott mongoose in my <laughs> little backpack there. So that evening, <laughs> and you were shooting I think 2315s or 2219s or some some big ass aluminum arrows that year and you were shooting Rocky Mountain snipers though the, the prelude I was either the sniper or something else. I can't remember because I wanted to swept back but it was the prelude to what the rage is today, something like that and you uh, <laughs> it was late right at dark there's a big antelope out there at 77, I think yards, somewhere like that. It was, it was over 70, under 80, mid mid-seventies, And, with a release you'd not even practice with, <laughs> you shot that, you shot, and then when that, you hit that antelope, it shot way high, right? Like the antelope dust drop to run and the, and the arrow hits really high. It hits this antelope in the side of the horn and shoots like a three-foot spark off of it. That's <laughs> because the broadheads make spark a lot when you open, when blades have to open, that friction of blades will cause a spark, man. When that thing hits that antelope, it sparks. I think it scared the shit out of the antelope. It must freaked us out because you're like, what? did you see that freaking spark? I,
0: I remember you said something about I hope that didn't stick in the horn or that's really gonna jack up a rifle hunter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yeah. It's like a freaking non typical or periscope coming through the wood. But yeah, you glanced that one off his head and and uh but yeah, you were you were dabbling with uh, back tension for a hunting release before that ever got cool and it didn't even get cool until like you know some of the manufacturers came out with hunting style which my favorite and one of your favorites is the scott longhorn hunter um, affiliation and it was a great release and um that's that's what i hunt with today for long range shooting because i i have the same problem you have man i'll I will punch the shit out of a trigger if I have the option um, on anything. So far, long range, man. To keep that pin in the middle of the vitals, i got to shoot a hinge. (laughs) uh,
0: Yeah, I shoot a Longhorn Hunter. I shot a B3 uh, Infinity Pro, which is a great release. I shot a Tangent, great release. But the Longhorn, it's a little bit fatter, fits my hand a little bit better. I think they call it the Longhorn Micro something now for micro adjust. But, yeah, I um, – I ended up, honestly, well, you know, 20 years, I've shot a hinge. Like, and I'll dabble. But generally what happens is I dabble to the point of, what am I doing? Um, I shoot a hinge better, you know, because I'm always tweaking and torquing and messing with stuff. But I will say that Scott Verge, which is kind of a unique release, but that one is a good option for, you know, people wanting to try a back tension, but in an index finger, because you kind of rotate with your fingers till it clicks. And, you know, I don't... uh, don't wrap my head to like we talked about this in the first podcast but i remember asking bill pellegrino hey watch me shoot see if i punch it and him looking at me like a horn growing out of my ass he's like really i think you know
1: (laughs) 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 he's like yeah he won't mess around he don't miss words either he's gonna tell you straight up you're being an idiot (laughs) oh yeah
0: for and i learned a shitload from from bill too And, and i've done a podcast with bill in the last little while um and in yeah. and the thing is, it's like with, with releases. And I think Mark and I, one thing you'll find out, our setups are almost identical from top to bottom. Um, you know, he shoots a little yeah. bit lighter arrow, but same speed, same, pretty much met- uh, methodology or same mentality. Um, w- and when I, I, with the index finger release, I can make it look good for a few shots. I will bend the trigger off that mm. bitch with an animal in front of me. I mean, we're talking full on Pearl Harbor, I will, I will break it. And I don't get wrapped up around what I used to about, Oh, squeeze your back muscles and all this other stuff. I keep pressure. You know, I keep tension on the shot and then I just relax my hand and the arrow goes off. And I kind of simplified things about 15 years ago about why am I doing all this stuff? Like the release goes off the easiest. When I relax my index finger, what the hell am I? You know, I'm trying to do all this contortionist Let's face it. I got to wipe from the front, right? I'm not very flexible. Like,
1: like <laughs> <laughs> you coined the phrase "fake back tension." You, you, you flat walked up to people at three terms. And, hey, man, that's some pretty good fake back tension you got going on. Totally a dude. Right? Because <laughs> you shoot, and then his arm, you know, and, and mine looks that way. I was thinking it was follow through, but at the end of the day, it's just fake back tension. All it is. Well, and, uh, and it's hilarious to see someone say because you, you, it's either that hand comes flying back or it, it comes off abruptly or there's a, it comes back two inches and then your arm falls back. It's like, come on, man, that's fake back. tension. What do you, what, don't this, we both, I think shoot the same way with little Scott's right. We, with our uh, longhorns, we just, you, you push the, t- you, I push the pin into the target hard. Like I'm pushing with my bow arm. I just, I don't set static. I keep tension. And what I have found to do is just to push my pin into the target and just relax my hand and that pushing and pulling is what makes it go off. Not necessarily, um, you know, putting my, uh, shoulder blades together.
0: No, I mean, I quit the shoulder blade thing a long time ago. Like I don't, uh, and the collective of like, when I give advice or I do a Q and a or, or seminars or what that same kind of crap that Mark's does, right? Like it's not, um, this isn't some, God, I don't want to like, uh, how do I put this? Um, without sound like a total pecker would, this is tried and true on animals in the field. It works for me or Mark. Now other people like a Gillingham or a Kyle Douglas kind of do the control, you know, their controller, they punch it. Right. Well, for me, I can't do that. There's nothing wrong with that. If that works for you, what, what I have found for me, is i can make the control you know punch it work for a little while and then it goes downhill super fast where i'm extremely consistent with the hinge and the relaxation of that release hand and so i same thing as mark identical i look through the pin meaning it's floating but i'm looking through it concentrating on the target pushing with my bow arm and relaxing my release hand and i shoot with a click i don't have to but i prefer it it clicks and then I'm just start the relaxation of the hand and it goes off. And if you watch a video um, a few posts back where I was in South Dakota on a mule deer, we stocked in 12, 14 yards. It's bedded and I've got a very tight window because it's facing to me and I've got that scap, right? And I've got the T of the scap and I've got to shoot towards the neck of the scap, knowing the capabilities of my, my, my system that I can get through there. But I've got a, about a, a three quarters of an inch left of the T of the scap or excuse me, right of the T of the scap that I need to hit. To, Cause if I hit the T, I'm not going through. You can watch that. Relax my hand. You can watch the whole thing. I think you're going to watch it the Easy Heat, Easy E neighborhood sniper. Boom, hand goes back, no fake back tension. I concentrate. Like, okay, so watch that shot with a trigger in my hand. You're going to see my right finger look like michael j fox on a bad day it will hammer the shit <laughs> out of that thing and that's why i don't shoot a hit or a, a, an index finger man i'll punch it and and i tried to just not sh- in the wind like talk a little bit about that mark like in the wind and when that index finger would come into play for you
1: oh yeah you're just the wind's blowing you left and right left and right you're coming across his ass man you think when i get when that pin starts coming across the rib cage man it's just like 12 to six right now, up and down, bam, (laughs) that trigger. Now I did get, I did get some control over a few years. And I I will say the farthest mule deer I ever killed with a long range shot. And I shot that in 2010 and I was shooting a Scott that, um, wildcat that, or no, uh, I'm sorry. It was a Scott, like the little mini goose or something that you could put that long two inch spring on for a trigger. And so you would have to pull through that spring. So you you just simply pull it, right? But you could pull, 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 pull. It would surprise you. It was like a training aid, but I hunted with that. And the farthest mule deer I ever killed, man, I dialed it and it was far. It was over 100 yards. And I dialed it down. He was off a bench, ranged him, drew back, held that pin in the middle of his shoulder, no wind. He was feeding and there's no way to get down off the rocks. There was no way to scale off that bench down to where he was at. And the other bucks with him had seen me, but the buck I shot was just broadside feeding, and I just pulled through that spring. And man, I just watched that arrow; it hit him right in the freaking middle of the shoulder, you know, that that the muscle part of his shoulder. Heart shot him, and and I was like, "That's awesome!" And then later that same season, I was hunting elk, had a big, had a nice bull coming through the timber at forty yards and you couldn't make that thing go off, right? Because you had to pull through the spring, and if you did try to jerk it, it was a wreck. It was a complete miss behind the bull walking. I was like, well, that ain't going to work. And so um, I just pretty much committed after that year. I think 2012 is the year I finally said, I'm just going to 100% commit to shooting a hinge, and it has worked out for me more times than not. I did find it to be difficult to hunt moving game. So um, hogs? white tails out of tree stands and elk i still hunt with a trigger that i can make go off and i shoot a scott um uh, sharp double hand like you think why would he It just what when i do have to punch it it just comes off very clean but when the animals are going to move around a lot um i have shot Luckily I've never hit an elk or a mule deer bad, but I've shot a couple of hogs in the guts and then trying to um, shoot them walking and you know how the hogs never set steel. They're always kind of moving around and trying to pull through a hinge and keep that pin in the middle of the shoulder. I almost always liver hit them. If you liver shoot a pig in East Texas, you're not going to find it, it was too thick. <laughs> so I, um, I went back to shooting the trigger and those shots are almost always under 30 yards out of a tree stand or ground blind when I'm hunting, hearing, you know, hogs, whitetails. And, um, so so i have no problem at all i exclusively hunt white tails and hogs with a trigger under 30 yards i'm good it's realistically those long range shots where i start having um when you're when you're i don't it's, it's just a mental thing but you end up with that peep fade you start fading out of your peep uh you you're, you're thinking about your pins or whatever happens but i almost always shoot low at long long range it's not locking up low. I don't lock up low on an animal. I end up low on an animal for whatever reason with well, what a trigger at long range. I was going to say like, um, while we're
0: bouncing around all over the place, um, Mark and I are old enough and I will say Mark is older than, than me. Ha ha. No. What do you, I think you got me by yeah. what? Six? <laughs> 52. 50. Okay. Oh, yeah. 52. So. Yeah. What do I, how old, I think I turned 47 in a couple weeks. So 48, 48. Yeah. Mark's going by five or six years. Um, We have a lot of history, not as much as some, but like rewinding, right? Back in the day with ASAs, you had to be at 280 plus or minus 288 was the max, right? Plus or minus 3%. Yeah. And then yep. you know, we we had the you know the Hoyt strikers and uh the, the like the Ultra Tech, which is one of my your favorite bow, I think one of my favorite bows. Yep. Mm-hmm. Multiple pins. We shot a lot of shit back in the day before it was cool now, right? And one of the things that you you run into, um, like I'm not a big fan of single pin sights, but a single pin is very handy. Um and I'm going to throw a huge shout out to Dan Evans. Uh, Mark and I both shoot option archery, equivalizers and his sights, the Canyon Pounder, which I think he should have come up with a different name. But. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, right. I've shit over that already, too.
0: Oh, my God. You know how many people like message me? Hey, that's what they called me in high school. Or, yeah, that's what the ladies <laughs> call me at the bar. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and. Yeah. That site, though, like when you talk about different bow setups and different, um, you know, uh, target hunting setups, arrows or whatever, there's a few things that make you extremely inaccurate. And, w- w- you know, when you when you look at issues or whatever, you talk about short bows, long bows. Mul- anyway, peep fade is a big one. And when I talk about peak fade, I'm talking about drifting left or right in the peep or very rarely out the top, but out the bottom of the peep, which makes you shoot low. When you set up a multi pin site, um, we we'll mark shit. I'll just let you take it from here. You know, what's up. I mean, we, we have the same views when you have the, the bottom pin buried yeah. at the level. It's a problem.
1: Yeah. That's what we talked about prior. It's like, um, when you, we, when you, I love the option site and, and, and me and you've been shooting this style of site since we met like back in, I, I still have it's on my wife's bow and She uses it for 3d, but it was a tech light Hunter our tech light 3d or something like that i had bought from you the first time i came to your apartment um uh, and when you lived in in aurora or wherever that was you inglewood maybe i came out to your place and and got that site from you and we still have it but those it was the it was like a a tech light 3d now so it just had the moving sliding um Bar, you could put one pin on it and have a nice 3D style uh, pin target sight. But we were taking those CBE pin gang, gang pins and putting on their four or five pins in it and making, you know, setting our pins up and, and, and the bottom pin being our, our, our adjustable pin, just dial down and we'd make tapes on um, Archer's Advantage and man, we'd dial our hunting setups just like a target setup. And that's how why we were able to achieve those great long range shots on deer and antelope stuff. back you know, when, when you could actually shoot good, <laughs> you could hit good because of those sights. Well, um, my opinion is I'm, I'm never going to be a one pin guy, just like we've talked about before that time you were trying to shoot that antelope in colorado we were together and that was in 2001 or two and we, we've decoyed this antelope in and you've got him out there at 70 or 80 yards and you've got the pin sight and all of a sudden that thing looks up sees a decoy decides to come kick our ass and he runs past us at 19 yards and you're trying to hold four feet low because your pin's still set i think that was the turning point right there you said i'll never shoot a freaking single pin for hunting again if i'm not mistaken it was never never
0: yeah never ever i I, (laughs) ever and let me tell you (laughs) i'm gonna interrupt mark real quick do not come as a client with me with a single pin unless you are very skilled because i will make fun of you um because they are not conducive to killing sorry go ahead mark
1: yeah, no. Well, single pins are great if that's what you use and you practice with, and that's that—that's your choice, whatever. And then there's reasons why some of these manufacturers are putting double and triple stack pins even on their single pin models, right? You gotta have you gotta have some you gotta have some depth there for, for you can't let down reset let down reset. So I like a five. My setup is I like five pins, I like twenty through sixty, and I like to set them up all in the middle of my housing because I don't like that peep fade, especially cause I don't change my anchor point. I don't change anything to shoot from 20 yards to hundred yards. I shoot the same anchor all the time. And I set, but I set, when I sight in, I sight, I like that middle pin. Or so when we used to shoot five pins, you start off in the top of your housing and go down and then 60 yard pin would be just below center of your housing. So, that even at long range, you're still looking pretty much in the middle of that site housing. And when you do side in like that, set your peep height for your mid range. Don't set your peep height for where you anchor at 20 or, or looking at your 20 yard pin, or, and don't set your peep sight looking at your 60 yard pin. I've always set my sights up looking at like my 40 yard pin. I just, when I side in, I side in and get my peep height tied in according to how I look at my 40 yard pin, because my natural ability will bring the pin to the center of my peep every time. And that's what will cause that peep fade Why you hit low is because you, if you're full draw and let's just say you're going to use your 60 yard pin and you've got it dialed for 90 yards, right? And that's your floater at your bottom pin. Your natural ability is going to want to bring that pin to the center of your peep site. If you look down, look how low, your pin housing is in your peep site that's what we call peep peep, peep fade you're you're, you're going to hit low you're just dialing in and you're just setting up low so that's one of the problems i had with the option six s you had six pins one pin floated within that whole housing well now i gotta stack all my pins in the very top of that thing uh and decide in to get all the maximum range out of my mover pin that realistically I was only getting to like 90 or 95 yards at my 287 feet per second. So, um, I love, and a lot of people have messaged me after when Dan launched that site and said that's what he was going to go to. So I saw so many comments, people just flat out did not understand what they were even looking at. Like, what is the difference? And like, look at it, the head moves the head the whole head moves up and down a rail whereas in the old one it was a pin housing and one pin would go up and down within that that's all the range you had and so you were you were lucky on that 6s to get 100 yards out of it. it's 100 and maybe 5 or 10 yards depending on how fast you shoot that's why he came up with the 8 pin right so now you got the 140 <laughs> but well, but with this one Go ahead. No, well, with the eight
0: pin, the problem I had was the oval housing and my, the mm-hmm. distance between my eye to the peep site and the peep to the housing. Um It just wasn't as accurate for me. And I ordered some eight, an eight pin. I didn't, I didn't shoot it as well. And with what Mark's talking about, where people are having questions about this like rewind back in the day in the early Randy Omer, Tony Clem, you pick it days. They did not have in before that they did not have pin housings, right? They didn't have a housing. They had like a, either a, a rectangle pin guard. And so they were forced to center the pin in the peep, not a housing, just a pin. And that's the most accurate way to do it now that gets a little convoluted when the pin is not dead center in your um your your sight picture per se and so what dan did and dan has been shooting a long time with the original option and mark talked about this you dial the pin up and down you center the peep in the housing and then the pin moves What you have now is centering the peep in the housing, but the pin is also by default set perfectly center in the housing and the peep. So when it's really low, you don't really notice peep fade as much because it's already at the bottom of the housing or the bottom of the peep. When it's dead center, it's easier to center the housing and the peep and the pin in the peep. So you don't have peep fade as much. And, it may not seem like a big deal at 20 through 60, but I can tell you when you're pushing 80 to one twenty, I peeping at peeping, creeping out of the bottom of the peep is like the devil. And it happens to it is, everyone.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It ranks right up there with that with target panic type stuff. It's just something that you do and you don't know you're doing it. it, but it just takes like me and you have, you know, between the two of us, we've got, 80 years of archery probably. And, and, and so you almost 80 years. And so I started when I was 13. So I've been bow hunting for almost 40 years now shooting. And the first 10 is like everybody you're learning, but man, after that first 10 years, it's, it's, it's knowing what you can and can't do. And and then it's just trying different stuff and all this stuff I'm talking about are things I've spent hundreds of hours on the range. When I was trying to compete at field archery and you know being good at 3D, it's it's just trial trial and error of peep height at what distance at setting these pins up. But what you just said is, and, that, and we'll get back on track with that that new Canyon Pounder site, The slider pin is stationary in the center of the the housing, and that's what's so amazing. So you've got so I ordered the five pin sight. So my 40-yard my pin is going to be my slider. That's going to be my pin. That's going to be the pin that goes up and down the scale when I move the site. So when I flip it open, my, there's going to be a gap in my five pins. So it's going to be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 20, 30, and 50, 60. When I flip the sight open and get those pins out of the way, now the pin that, that, that's movable, that's on the head of that thing going up and down, it's built into the housing dead center in the pin housing. So that will always be dead center from, t- I can run it all the way back up to 20 or run it all the way down to a hundred and I'm always going to be dead center. And I think that is the best, you know, option. And that's the name of his, that's Dan gives you options. He gives you options with all of his equipment, how the equivalizer can be mounted. To, and this isn't just a commercial for Dan, but that's why we love him so much. He thinks of everything As is, is you have sliders, You have gliders, (laughs) you can can mount your quiver on the side, you can put it on the front, but there are options. And this option that we're talking about of this site is what what may not be for everybody, but for my shooting style, the way I shoot and what I like for accuracy and what you like, man, this is the, if I was going to sit down and draw the world's most perfect site, this is what I would draw. And now it comes with that pick rail mount. So I can put it on the front of my weight and I'm super excited about that.
0: And as you say that, man, I swear to God, which doesn't count because I'm not overly religious. I swear to whoever I, I literally months ago, Ryan Rotier asked me and he'll vouch for me long before Dan came out with this. And I'm not trying to take anything from Dan. I'm just saying Dan is a genius. Dan, he, Ryan said, Hey, if you were going to design a site, what would you design? I designed, no shit, I designed verbally the Canyon Pounder. I was like, hey man, what you need is a a pin centered in the housing all the time. That's going to be your gang adjustment type, you know, big mover and and i would copy dan and i told him that i said i'd copy dan and i would have pins above and below and and you know when it came out ryan called me he's like you've got to be fist effing me and i'm like what and he was like (laughs) they designed your site and i'm like now i have no doubt in my mind dan is smarter than me he designed that far before you and i were sitting on the side of the mountain but to me for most people and and i like spot hog i like hha i like black gold i mean there's a ton of good site companies out there oh
1: legitimately yeah legitimately yeah, though ones.
0: oh yeah there's all of them are good legitimately though i would say the high 90 percent or or more 99.9 this is the site for people to have it is expensive um there's a lot of engineering a yeah. lot of things going into it but but truly This is a site that can do everything and do it correctly with very few. um, You're not compromising anything where you shoot a multiple pin site. If you have to shoot your center pin like 20, 30 and then 40 and you're fixed, right? When you have multiple fixed pins and you set your center pin up for your gang adjustment. Now you have all these pins and clutter. That's gone. Yeah. Dan fix that. Right. When you shoot a single pin, you have the issue of having to let down, dial, let down, dial, let down, dial. All those are gone. You also have the um, option of if you're shooting 20, 30, and then your 40 is your sight tape for your inside, you know, when you twist your bow towards you and your look, you know, at your your sight bar. That sight bar, or that, excuse me, that sight tape on that sight bar is for your 40 or your rover. If you want to use your 50, 60, your bottom pin... You can flip it for extra long range and use your 60-yard pin or your fifth pin for a longer range on the other side of it. He, there's nothing he hasn't thought <laughs> it's about with amazing. this. It oh, dude's it's a genius. Man.
1: It, gets me, it gets me giddy. And, you know, me and you've been shooting. We've known Dan Evans. I've, I have known Dan Evans for a long, long time. And we both started shooting his stuff when he started Trophy Taker. You know, I remember shooting Trophy Taker Rest with you um, at Archery Adventures in 2000. Man, like that's forever ago or 2001. And, um, I got, and I just, everything Dan's ever put out is quality. He's a quality guy. He's a freaking machine. He's a elk killing sucker, man. I mean, that's what he's known for, but I love the fact that he's buying, um, everything he gets is U S made bolt screws. Everything's made in the U S and he's building it right there in Montana. And that's just, and that's why it's expensive that you're getting the best of everything with that site, man. I, I highly recommend anybody looking to go check option archery out and check out that site. Cause it's, man, it's amazing.
0: Well, and, and while we're throwing a sales pitch out, not on purpose, but cause truly I think it's the best site that I don't think there'll ever be one built better. And, and as I say that I don't have it yet. I ordered three of them. That's how much I liked them from what I've seen. If it is exactly like what I've seen, which it is, there will never be a site made better than that one. Now he may have little tweaks <laughs> and improvements, but I'm not bullshitting you. Yeah. Dan does not pay me. He gives me a slight discount and I love you, Dan. I wish you gave it to <laughs> yeah. me.
1: Same here. Same, <laughs> but, same yeah. man. same thing. I broke my credit card out the night they went on sale at 7 p.m. He goes, Hey, they're going on sale tonight at 7. I promise you, I bought the first one ever made <laughs> back there. And I was sitting there with my finger tapped waiting, man. And I didn't even ask for it. I just bought it, paid full, full retail. Dan, being the good guy he is, he come back, gave me a break, and put some money back on my card. But because I'm an industry guy, you know, I'm his friend, I've been with him a long time. And he did he me a solid, but man, I paid full retail for that thing because I wanted it that bad. And I didn't want to dick around and wait for to see if I could get a discount or nothing, I just wanted it. I, I knew it was that great that I was willing to buy it right, right now. That's what I wanted. I, I ordered
0: three of them, dude.
1: Yeah, and he told me that he goes, he goes, "That guy bought three of them." I'm like, "Well, shit, man."
0: Well, the thing is, when you when you have um, a collective of, of of experience between you and I of seventy to seventy five years, you're right. We're not quite at eighty, but we're working on it. You have yeah. all the misses and I'm talking about the quivalizer as well. And a lot of people talk shit about the quivalizer, but I, I'm a fan and, and I, I don't, I don't mess around. I go back and forth to, to assess, right? Like this year when I, when I got uh, my new bow from, from elite, I, I put a standard side mount quiver on nothing wrong with a side mount quiver. One, I love having eight arrows. I love a heavy bow and I like having eight arrows, especially when you're looking at multiple, when when I say multiple, I have unloaded quivers down in Texas pretty quickly on Doe's, Havelina, Owdad, things like that. Like shit can get Western quick. I like having those arrows and I like having one or two judo tips. I can have six yeah. broadheads and two judo tips and an eight arrow quiver and I like the weight. So with both of those things, it's like, okay, look, Dan does not put the money into marketing that other site companies do. Nothing wrong with that. But what he does put in is engineering, R&D, design. He puts a lot of money into that, a lot of thought. I promise anyone listening, you will not find a better site than that Canyon Pounder, except the name. Probably could have come up with a better name. I love you, Dan. <laughs> Fuck me. I wish you would have called me when you named that thing. The, 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 the quibble yeah, Hey. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: <laughs> have, you, have you ever had him on your podcast? Fucker won't get on it. He
0: doesn't do podcasts. Oh, he he told me He's a
1: pretty private guy. He's yeah.
0: got he's going to do one with Jared Lyle first, one of his super close friends and he would do one with me. Yeah. Now, we'll see. I would love to get him on because he uh, people don't know Dan's history like they should. He is a very good shot. He was a very accomplished archer. And his background, right? And I mean, and, and he's just a good fucking guy. Like, I got to stop dropping yeah, off. He's, he's one of the a good guy. He's a good person. He's a he's good
1: a, guy. Good.
0: Now, yeah. he is not a set of car keys for anybody who hasn't seen Dan. He looks like Sasquatch. He is a big, big man. And <laughs> yeah. he kills yeah. giant elk like the dude. And yes, he gets, you know, whatever landowner, whatever he does to get his elk. But like, you will watch his story. He is passing elk. That I guarantee Mark might cut my leg off and I would cut Mark's arm off to shoot. Yeah.
1: And he'll pass it. It'd be the bull of my lifetime. He'll just pass it right up. Like, yeah, that's what I'm looking for.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's got
1: he's got some whoppers, man.
0: Oh yeah. Amazing hunter, good dude. But but um and I won't pump Dan's tires up too much longer, but I hunted with the Quivalizer a lot and I used to make fun of it. Man, I am a firm believer in the quivalizer. Now I've modified mine a little, I cut it a little shorter. Um, so it doesn't stick out quite as far, but you know, the thing is, is like when, you know, the way that I look at it and, uh, Mark and I both, you know, different scenarios, people will ask questions that are like crazy to me. Like, Hey man, how's it working a ground blind? I'm like, it doesn't work worth a shit. It's long. What do you think? Like, unless you take it you, off. Yeah, <laughs> take it <Yeah>. off. <laughs>
1: Like it does, I take it off in the ground blind.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's like you know, it uh, co- and I say that I'm not trying to make fun of anyone, but no, it doesn't work well in a ground blind. But like tree stand, I've never had an issue with the tree in a tree stand with that thing. If I did, I would no. take it off, but I've never, if you've got an issue in a tree stand with equivalizer, you've done piss poor prep, right? There's something went yeah, wrong.
1: You didn't trim, yeah. I probably, probably the guys that hunt public land a lot because I hunt East Texas, which is just like Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas same kind of river bottom stuff. Quiverizer can be a hindrance when you're trying to crawl around and find a hog in a thicket like that. And so for that reason, when I hunt in East Texas, um, and, and well, I don't say it's got to hunt public ground. They can't trim. They can't prep. They can't trim anything really. You know, some of these places you can't even prune trees. So I could see why, but, but I like it so much because I like five arrows. I don't, I always used to shoot the four arrow, one, you know, two piece quiver on my weight. And that's what, if I use a quiver on my bow, it's the two piece weight. Standard quiver, and they've come a long way. Those things are amazing now, but I love the feel of the shot. Like I, when I set my bow up this year, um, my RX Seven last year, I put Hoyt rods on it, front side rod quiver, trying to, bat, and I'm like, and I never got the feel that I wanted. That just felt right to me. I, or I called Dan. I ordered a quiverizer and a six S sight from him. Threw those on, no sidebar. No cash mount, none of that stuff. Just the quiverizer with four, and I practice with four arrows in it because obviously I'm going to be shooting the fifth arrow, my first arrow every time. So I practice with four arrows in my quiverizer, and I get the best shot feel period out of that thing. So I I love it, and I use it all the time. I use it even in the thick stuff, but when I'm going in the real thick, thick stuff, I just usually just strap the um I just strap the quiver on my pack because I'm only going in before daylight anyway and I climb up in the tree because trying to pull <laughs> in East Texas, trying to pull your bow up in a tree, even when you prune it, there's so much poison ivy and honeysuckle and green briar and all this stuff at the base of every tree, every white oak tree I'm trying to go up that man, I'll sit there and pull and yank and that quiverizer will hang on a lot of shit when you're trying to get up in a tree or in a place that you can't trim. So I'll throw it in my pack and go up. And then, man, the sh- if the shots are under 30 yards, which I don't shoot at whitetails hardly over 30 in East Texas anyway, you can't see more than 15 yards. Um, the quiverizer is just hanging like a regular quiver, hanging in the tree, and I'm just not shooting with one on. But when I do hunt, like my power line stand, I can shoot 70 yards out of that power line stand, and I have it on, ready to go.
0: Sorry about that, man. My wife came in and I'm in the same boat. Like as far as like climbing in a tree stand, I put it in the pack, you know, hiking in. Like I was explaining that to guys. I'm like, look, if you hike in, put the quibblers on the right side of the pack, put the bow up the middle. It's not a problem Mm -hmm. with some foresight. I will say, though, as much as people made fun of me about having a muffler coming off my bow dude i love the cash bar i i do for backpack hunting that thing yeah and and we probably should stop pumping dan's tires up in a minute and get back to the task at hand but i put a full-on repair kit in that cash bar
1: um oh yeah dude and so uh, cotton around it or something or what? well
0: it comes with a fleece liner and so i put three extra broadheads i have a small thing of uh, bowstring wax three different sizes of you know just standard like um like serving material extra knocks a field tip um what else do i have in there super glue and it weighs out like i've done all of our i've calculated all this so i weighed out my standard stabilizer and you know kicker bar and then i weighed out the quivalizer eight arrow quivalizer and the cash bar and man i you know i do get some crap about it but I love that cash bar, dude. I just ordered another one last night. Yeah,
1: I, I have no experience with it. I have no, I never tried it. And I, I probably should. But I just don't, I never like running bars or anything for hunting anyway. I just never, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I like a really, really lightweight bow. And, um, you know, what
0: while, while we're talking about that, like that's one of our differences. The only difference, my bow is nine pounds, 8.8 yeah. roughly. <laughs> I like a heavier yeah. bow and, you know, keep in mind, ask me in 10 years, I might not like a heavier bow, but I, I like, I don't mind it. But that, that cash bar, if you are into, if you like a bow that's in the seven and a half to nine pound range and it, you know, this is important. Everybody likes a different weight bow, you know, for me, yeah. like on the side of the mountain, I'll open up that cash bar and I will wax my string real quick. If something moves, if I got to retie something in, I've got that. If I want to take a practice shot, I'll screw in a field tip, you know, take a shot or whatever it's not for everybody. It does look a little bit goofy if you're not used to it. To me, I'm used to it or whatever, but, um, yeah, while we're talking about setups though, like, you know, Mark, we mentioned on the podcast before that I didn't hit record. Right. One of the things you and I coming up from back in the ASA 280, 280 feet per second days, you have been extremely mm. lethal and very successful on a lot of different animals and a lot of different areas. Talk about your setup. Ours a little bit different. Cause you shoot a little bit lighter arrow, Talk about your yeah. setup and what you prefer and why, um, you know, for people listening in.
1: Sure. Um, well to, uh, I, I shoot by today's standards. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I must be retarded because my arrows are all under 400 grains. <laughs> and I know that, uh, with ranch ferry and everybody out there that I need to be, you know, shooting addle addles out of my compound at these animals, but man, I just, I, I never bought into it. I'm, I'm not a, I'm, and I just from trial and error, man. I I like light that. I mean, when I hunt with a rifle, I hunt with a Weatherby. I shoot a two fifty seven Weatherby Magnum. I like speed, but when I hunt with a bow, I'm not a speed freak. But I do want I want what's considered moderate speed, but I want enough speed that I I don't know. I, I want forgiving speed. So. Like we both talked about, when we first started shooting, I think 280 was the rule for field. You like there was no percentages. 280 was the max you can shoot for field. NFAA field rounds, ASA and IBO. IBO was five grains per pound. I, I started off an IBO guy, and that's what I lived by was a five grains per pound. But then when I got into ASA's, it was 280 rule. And and realistically, I'm more of an ASA guy than anything now, um, because we have such a great federation here in Texas. And I shoot the ASA's here every once in a while got kind of back into it a few years ago but I I when you had had to shoot 280 you had a 2 or 3% rule and that was 288 so I found my magic number was 285 to 287 anywhere in there I knew how my bow shot I knew how to hold I know it's just the feel of it the timing of that from when I shoot to the arrow impacts the target I just just shoot one thing all the time and I liked that So I was like, I'm just going to do that for hunting and for 3D. So I've always set my hunting bows up 286, 287. And, um, the older I got, I mean, back in, man, when I started getting into my forties, I quit elk hunting so much and started just mostly mule deer hunting. And I found I didn't need a lot of, uh, poundage shooting all the Hoyt carbon bows. I'm a Hoyt guy. I have been for many, many, many years left for a while, came back and will never leave again. I just, I'm just a white guy. And so when they come out with carbon bows, I think that's the end all be all. For my style, for my feel, for what I like, I've loved every carbon bow they've ever made. And when I started shooting that carbon bow in 2010, um, I'm going to tell on myself here a little bit. The farthest I've ever killed a mule deer was 109 yards. It was 109, 110 off a cliff. I talked about it a while ago. I killed that deer with a 336 or 337 grain arrow and it was a it was a ultra lightweight speed arrow with a 75 grain rocket ultimate steel on the front and i i loved that setup and the reason it worked for me is because a lot of guys take a 400 spine arrow and you take a 400 spine arrow and shoot 70 pounds and throw a hundred grains up there, you're already overspine. You're already weakening that arrow. It is and and so, and I shot. I didn't shoot real heavy veins. You know, I like to shoot either um, little feathers. And these days, I shoot all AAE stuff. As a matter of fact, I just got my AAE uh, hybrids in today. My two point threes. I'm gonna shoot mechanicals this year, but um, I shot. back then, I was shooting. Um, uh, Oh, Tim Kent used to hook me up with these Predator Veins from, from uh, I think Fusion or something like that or whatever that, Veintech I think it was Veintech or something. I don't remember exactly the brand, but they were called Predator Veins. They were small, and they would steer those little 75 grain fixed-blade heads. Well, I shot that bucket 110 yards in the heart, and arrow passed right through him like he was nothing. I was only shooting 65 or 6 pounds, and that arrow was going 312 feet per second. I don't remember. It just worked out for me. It shot well. And then over the next few years, after everybody quit making 85 and 75 grain heads, I was just by default, I was pushed into hundred grain heads, but I didn't change arrows. And I started having penetration issues and grouping issues because arrows, arrows were spine is huge. And if they're stiff, they're going to fly good. If they're not. You put a lot of weight on the front of an arrow that's not spined right, man. Things can get kind of wonky for me, in my experience. They get a little wonky. So um, even to this day, um, I have gone back. So um, back in 2018, I went to the Pierce Platinum 300 spine from um, Gold Tip. I'm a Gold Tip guy. And I've shot a lot of fixed blade broadheads over the last few years. I was shooting a muzzy trocar. That's been my go-to broadhead since 2018. Problem with trocar, is built great solid very accurate for a fixed blade head and very sharp and they're awesome but they're only awesome if you make really perfect shots because the blood trails if you don't hit an animal perfect um, man blood trails can be pretty bleak so I'm I'm contemplating trying some different stuff this year um, on broadhead but but but, but out in 2018 I went to that muzzy Troll car and I went to that Pierce platinum and I went to uh, aAE max stealth you know, the stealth veins that was a 446 grain setup and I was blowing through everything I shot at and it was, it was awesome. And I was going through big hogs. I didn't, haven't killed an elk in a long time, but it went through all the hogs, all the deer and I've shot deer quartering away. I've shot deer, um, quartering hard, that big buck. I killed in East Texas last year. Ocho, the one I was on the other podcast about, I shot him in the right ham going away and, um, I was trying to hold him the last rib and I ended up hitting a little limb Touch something. I hit him square in the right hand, broadhead, ended up in his vital. I got him. You know, It, it was amazing setup. I love it. This year, um, I took that same setup, uh, and this RX-7 is significantly slower than my RX-4 or my um, Venom 33. So when I went to the range this year with the same arrow setup, I was having huge pin gaps. I couldn't even get my 6S to get 80 yards out of it. I was like, man, I might as well go back to another site. I can't get the yardage I want. Um, so (laughs) I went online and ordered me some, uh, gold tip velocity XT hunters. Oh, that's what I had gone to, you know, a few years ago before I went to the, the, uh, those uh, Pierce platinums. And, um, I got some 340 XTs and they come in at like 380 with my veins, and hundred grain head. No added, no added weight up front, nothing. But man, I went out to the range and on the big, um, the big feet of face the one they shoot at 70 yards we have one at a hundred at our archery range outside and man I was shooting X's in that thing with this these gold tips or these uh, XT hunters and so I went down to the broadhead range and took my block target set it up put a broadhead on sighted it in and man I was able to get another 15 yards out of my sight because I was able to get my speed up to two it actually went to 290 it went from the 270s to 290s by changing that arrow and then I went to Utah, and shot a buck at 54 yards with it and shot him through the shoulders and the arrow was 10 yards past, and he went 40 yards, flipped over backwards dead. So um, I, I, I know about momentum, especially shooting my recurve. You know, I, I, I dabbled in that, and I killed me two deer with a recurve. We can talk about that a little later if you want. I absolutely believe in heavy, heavy arrows and FOC, a lot of FOC with a recurve um, just because of momentum. Not so much because of kinetic energy, but because of momentum. I believe you need to carry that weight and, and then have good penetration to get. in the have super sharp broad edge, all that stuff that comes with shooting a trad bow. I believe in, in the compound. I don't buy any of it. I don't buy any of the. I don't buy any of the stuff. I don't buy any of the foc, um, uh, heavy. I I, I I, and the reason I'm saying I'm not buying it is I don't have the time to mess with it. I uh, Literally, I don't understand all of it, but I know I can go buy a pack of gold-tip velocity arrows, put a 100-grain head on it in moderate vein, and have an arrow that will shoot 290 out to 100 yards and kill game. When, once I can tune that make that happen, and I've never had a velocity break. Uh, they're not like some of the the speed arrows from manufacturers are like you know eggshells. I can tell you these aren't. They They hold up, and I've had nothing but great success with them. So I'm gonna take a drink of water. That's my spill on and you, you write my shit. If I was wrong on anything.
0: No, no. I mean, um, like, uh, Tim Gilling, well, let me rewind. Okay. There's, there's my, like, uh, and I've done multiple podcasts talking about this, but like, uh, I have never checked my FOC until somebody actually asked me what my front of center was. And, I did a lot of backdating on FOC, you know, like, like, you know, going back and mimicking old arrow setups and, and, you know, everything else. And, you know, Tim Gillingham is kind of on the far, if the left side of the fence, well, let's say right side, cause uh, he's very Republican. Um, the right side of the fence is light arrows and the left side of the fence is re- extremely heavy arrows. Tim Gillingham is like the big proponent of lighter arrows and and Joe Maxfield is another guy, um, you know, talks about this and it gets very convoluted because, uh, man, you know, dive in whenever you want to, if I misspeak, but it's all about putting an arrow through an animal and what arrow weight and point weight does that the best. And there are multiple schools of thought with this. And. It gets I'm a I'm a happy medium guy. Like I'm a I'm a 280 guy. Meaning if I'm shooting 90 pounds, I shoot a heavy enough arrow to shoot 280. If I'm a seventy-two pound guy, I'm lighter weight arrow, but I'm at 280. And I shoot fixed and mechanicals. Um more mechanicals mechanicals with a compound, but what is the most le- most lethal? And you know, and again, Mark, dive in anywhere in here. When you look at yeah. speed, um, where the forgiveness with speed is is if you're off a little bit on yardage. Animal moves, you got to guess the yardage whatever. The argument behind a heavy FOC and a heavy arrow is penetration. The one thing I have found and and I think you would agree with this, if you hit an animal wrong, it really doesn't matter that much what your arrow weighs within reason. Mm. It's not going to help that much. Like I hear like, "Oh, you know, a, a three-to-one ratio broadhead will break a leg. Well, what the fuck are you aiming at the leg for? Like, you know what? All I right. need to be nice. Right. Yeah. We're not aiming at the well, leg. Uh, Go ahead. No,
1: well, let me say. Let me say this on, on the subject. Um, it's all about it's all about power, energy, respect for the animal. All I mean, all everything included, man. You, you want to do the right thing, and you got to do what's right for you. What's right for me? Is um, less time in the air, right? So the quietest bow in the world, a deer can still hear it. A deer can still hear the quietest bow that's ever made, and they can hear it go off within. Depending on how far off the animal is, it's the amount of time that arrow is in the air. If I could get, um, if I could get a bow to be efficient and super quiet. Obviously, I want that bow to be 450 feet per second. The less time that arrow is in the air is the less time that animal, just face it, me and you shoot at animals beyond the average. And that's what's caused us to have the success that we have as our shooting ability. Not the greatest hunter in the world, not the greatest anything, but I pride myself on the fact that I put the time in and I do the practice to be a great archer, a great shot, a good shot anyway. I'm going to take shots I believe I can make, but I know the less time that arrow is in the air, the better off I am for me and the animal both, man, because that thing can move, that things can happen. And so I like somewhat speed, you know, And, and, and like by today's standards, my speed is not, I mean, you have bows shooting 350, I think some of the speed bows. And I actually used to shoot the speed bows well, the Hoyt Viper some of those PSC speed bows in the early day. I shot those things good, man. went won some tournaments with them. Um, I even won an indoor tournament with a Hoyt Viper. I was a state champion in Mexico in 2000 with a Hoyt Viper, um, in the fixed pin category. And, and cause I shot them good, but as I got older, my shoulders and, uh, I just don't like heavy poundage and I don't like the, I don't like the feel of the draw cycle on some of these speed bows. So I try to get, I try to shoot a very accurate bow with a moderately weighted arrow. And here's the thing about arrows. Tornadoes can put a toothpick through your wall. It's been proven. They can take pine straw and put them through the shingles of a house, right? This if the flight was perfect and the amount of energy and the amount of momentum that thing is going to penetrate, what I have found with arrows is is get that thing flying good. So I don't care what it weighs as long as it's very sharp and flying perfectly, it's going to penetrate and it's going to break bones. It's going to get into the stuff in the vitals that kills animals. You know, they kill by hemorrhage. You just want to get into something that's going to make them hemorrhage. Just going to be, you know, in, a, in the artery or in the lungs or the heart. That's what you're going for. Um, so if you shoot a 500 grain arrow that's flopping out of your bow <laughs> and that arrow's not hitting point, perfect point, To not dead center, going straight into that animal, it ain't going to penetrate any better than a 300 grain arrow that's going, you know, flying perfect. And that has been my experience. Once I really started focusing on accuracy more than anything, I, I, I focused on making my bow super, super quiet. I want super, super, super stealth. That's what I'm after on everything. Good arrow flight, meaning I paper tune, I group tune. I go out there and I tape tune at sixty yards. You know, I I I do everything I can to get my arrows flying perfect. If I focus on accuracy and quiet, man, it doesn't even seem to matter what the arrow brand, weight, or speed is. But like I said, that's just my experience. What I like, I'm kind of a moderate person. I think I said that yesterday, man. I learned a long time ago. If I had not learned how to celebrate mediocrity, man, I would not be anything because I don't have any 200 inches to my name. I don't have any 400 inch bulls. I don't have any world championships, but I do have a passion for the sport. I love teaching and sharing what I learned and I'm sharing with everybody right now is take every, everything aside. If you focus on good arrow flight, razor sharp broadheads, repeatable shots, man, it's really all you got to focus on in my
0: opinion. No, I mean, let's, um, you know, rewind a little bit with what you're talking about when I, and I guide quite a bit when I go out to, you know, clients show up and we go out, we have a, a practice range at, at the, you know, at the, at the hunting shack. Right. And we go out and shoot yeah. when I have them shoot, I have them shoot to look at accuracy. I, I, the, and I'm trying, I'm trying to put this to where it it is context into this. So, People get where I'm coming from. When they show up, I don't ask them what their arrow weighs. I don't. When we sh- they show up, I'm like, hey, let's go shoot. I see how they shoot, and that is what is paramount. And which you know parallels what you're talking about. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, you don't want to shoot a you know 265 to 340 grain arrow with a giant mechanical. Like, I'm you know within reason. Like, he, right. you know, you know, be have some common sense about this but it, it, you know, I've never walked off a mountain saying, wow, I wish my pack was smaller. I've definitely wished it was bigger. I've never come off the mountain saying, wow, I wish my heavy arrow was heavier, but I've damn sure wished (laughs) I was more accurate. Right. And so accuracy is key. And there is such, um, man, it's worse than talking about religion and politics, right? When you, there's different, like, like different forums and things and people get really wrapped up. The bottom line is when you hit where you're aiming at, you're okay. And when you don't hit where you're aiming at, and let's say if the the animals broadside to us, head to the left, butt to the right, you run percentages. What is the percentage of chance of hitting liver, stomach, intestine? It's much larger than hitting the T of the scapula. And when I, you know, I'm, I'm just being like, this is mathematics. It's simple math. What yeah. is going to, you know, cause you to hit left or right, right? Animal could move yet. You jerked a shot or whatever. So accuracy is the most important thing. Some of that speed. All right. Some of that's your shooting, right? There's a lot of things involved with that. You know, then you, you know, you break it down to broadhead. Do you want to fixed or mechanical or whatever, but generally speaking, and I'll see people when they get on like the Ashby Ranch Ferry kick about, Oh, this guy, you know, he did actually break the knuckle of a elk. You know, well, you know, there was a Korean that played basketball that was seven foot one. I haven't seen another one, right? There's a unicorn in every group. There's eight <laughs> billion people on yeah. the planet. We can find unicorns, right? You can always find the exception. But Mark, what would you say your chances of going through the T or the knuckle of a, you know, the shoulder or the scapula are with your setup?
1: Through the T or? You're oh, talking about the T on the scapula, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, the bone sticks out. Man, uh, not very high. Yeah, n- basically, <laughs> not very high.
0: None. Neither with mine. Okay, what are the no. chances of of a arrow if you're shooting? Let's say I'm going to round it up a little. You're shooting a 400 grain arrow. What are the chances mm-hmm. of a 450 grain arrow? Equally shitty. 500, still no. 550, probably no. not. 575 mm-hmm. to 600 with a fixed blade, maybe. Right? What did you lose right. getting to those weights?
1: You lost speed. about half the distance that I can shoot. Yep. Yep. You lost my sight won't allow me to shoot at <laughs> 50 yards. Yeah. So no. <laughs> yeah. what
0: what you also lost is the ability when you're off on yardage to still hit the animal mm-hmm. in the lungs or heart or vitals because yeah. of the loss of speed. And you know, the thing with the Ranch Ferry, and I've had him on the podcast, minus his horrific laugh that 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 bugs me is he is shooting a very static environment feeder corn hogs deer right nothing wrong with any of that but as as someone like mark or myself have hunted in the mountains for multiple different species that it is not a static environment and yardage is a big thing and so when you have an animal you range it it's at 39 it's in its bed it stands up it walks a few yards you don't have time to range it when you're lobbing logs right? It's 550, 575, yeah. 600, 500, 500. man, you got to be precise on yardage and, you know, things start to shift, right? When you look at the scale. And so, yes, if you by chance hit it in the scapula, maybe you've got a little bit better chance of going through, but it's a fraction. It's not much. And if you, right. but if you, you know, you have a little bit faster bow, and you're off on yardage and your shot is good, you have a lot better chance. And so this is where it gets really convoluted and you've got like, it's kind of like politics, right? Anybody that's like extreme on either side, like I've got buddies so far to the right, they have to look to the right to see the left. I have, I have friends that are so far to the left. They have to look left to see the right. I really don't listen to either of them on politics because they're wackos, right? They're, they're crazy. Right. But
1: when you yeah. talk about the truth arrow is somewhere in the middle. Yeah.
0: yeah. Arrow, arrow, arrow weight in both setups is the same way. And when you start to talk about Tim gets crazy, you, you've known Tim as long as I longer than I have. Yeah. I right. know this lady that she shot a 320 grain arrow and zipped right through an elk and she was shooting. And I'm like, okay, right. right. Let's get in the middle somewhere. Right. Like, and, 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 and I don't want to mislead people like there's positives to both, Mm-mm. but in mountain hunting, right. A heavy, heavy arrow is not, in my opinion, is not the ticket. It's not. It's not the key to victory. There's no magic pill, and a heavy arrow is definitely not it, because it handicaps you with speed.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I just say, you know, I killed. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I, I'm pretty sure. Like, a guy told me once I did, but I'm pretty sure I killed the first animal ever killed with an Eastern Axis arrow. In 2003, I got on staff with Hoyt, factory staff, and I was over there, and I got a tour of the factory there and over at Easton. And um, the guy that I was dealing with, wanting to be a generous host, he's like, I got to show you something that's coming out, but it's not out yet. We're going to launch it to ATA. And it was the Easton Access Arrow, a full year before Fred Eichler ever even knew about an Easton Access Arrow. And the guy gives me a dozen of them, 400 spines. That's all he had. He goes, "I'm gonna give you some 400 spine." I'm like, "Hey, I'm going on a buffalo hunt." You know, I had a I had the opportunity to go hunt those bison down there in South Park when that was still going on. You go down there. Like I had that Buffalo Ranch, and you could hunt them. You know, on that 6,000 acre pasture. And I said, um, "Okay." And I had a Hoyt Ultratech on 70 pounds, and I had a 400 spine Eastern Axis arrow with a 75 grain Rocket Ultimate Steel. <laughs> I shot my buffalo. A, a two-year-old bull bison at sixty yards, quartering away in the middle of the ribs on the left, broadhead was poking out of his right shoulder, and he went forty yards and flipped over dead.
0: And what <laughs> year was
1: four hundred grains. The two thousand three. Well, so, and
0: uh, I, I'm I'm uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that people take this conversation for what it's worth. This is the experiences of a couple couple guys, right? I, I have shot um, a few different buffalo or bison myself. I I don't know if you know this. You're not supposed to call them buffalo. You get a lot of hate mail. They're bison. Uh, you called it the right okay. name. Yeah, I didn't know that either. By the way, do not call a javelina a peccary or a pig. They're a peccary. I've got oh, trouble no. for that one, too. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I called it a pig. I was like, it's got like pig hoofs. It's got a pig nose. And I, I got blasted for that. Like, it's not a pig. But anyway, when you look at that, Mark's setup for that hunt was not, um, textbook correct. Right. And you shot that great penetration with a axis 400 and a rocket broadhead, which is antiquated in today's technology, right? This, this is 20 years ago. How long did that Buffalo live when you hit it?
1: Mm, About 10 seconds max.
0: Okay. Well, I can tell you I've shot. By the time I
1: walked over the hill. By the time I walked over the hill, he wasn't even flopping anymore, and there was blood everywhere in the snow. It was amazing. Yeah,
0: hey, so you know you got keep... it on video, like. Oh, good lord! What <laughs> kind of video was that? That's back in the day. It was
1: with a big. It was a yeah. It was a, it was a high def uh, eight eight. You know a, a high whatever a high eight whatever that was. Sean Dennison filmed it over the shoulder with just a regular high eight video camera, but it was on video. You see the arrow in the, in the air. The whole thing was awesome, man. It was out in the snow. You know it was. Put a snow on the ground, but anyway, I only made that example of, I did that. I did that, and I saw it, and that's when I knew, man, and I, and I, and I killed, I've killed three bulls. Um, one of my, one of my biggest bulls I ever killed, I killed that exact same setup uh, in 2004. A 300-inch bull in Colorado, I shot him at 72 yards, he was in a, uh, out in a meadow bugling. Uh, he'd come out, cows had come through, and he stepped out. Same exact time I'm like, if I can kill a bison, I can kill elk with it. Bull stop, arranged him seventy two yards, drew back, put my seventy yard pin just right in his shoulder. He spun. By the time I got over there, it was almost dark. You know, it was getting dark, and I and I heard him crash crashing the timber, walked up there, put my light on. He go he went sixty yards, piled up. But it was a complete pass through. Arrow was out there and out there on the ground beyond him. And that arrow, I'm telling you that, whatever a four, I don't know what those things weigh. Uh, I could do the math, but I know it was under 400 grains, but I was, that was at the heyday when I was shooting three D's and everything I shot was flying like laser darts, man. So anyway, I don't want your, your, your listening. I'm not being reckless. I'm just doing what works for me. And, and I have the experience and the, and I mean, my proof is. My game room. I mean, it works. It works. Yeah, I was me, just gonna you know say you're I mean? not you're not <laughs> being
0: reckless, man. I, I I don't. uh, I've done this long enough, and not not as long as you, but we're close, right? And I've done the podcasting, and you know whatever you know you know my history. We're like, look, I don't get into the reckless anymore because when you when you have a guy that puts multiple animals on the ground, it's not reckless. And I know you're very accurate. You're very lethal. the The thing that I'm hoping yeah. people take from this is the fact that. Shoot what is accurate and shoot what is, is 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 your is your confidence, right? When your confidence is key. I'm not saying listen to yeah. me. I'm not saying listen to Mark. I'm saying listen to yourself. And yeah. if you're a guy that sets up a bow and you're at, I don't know, whatever picket, you know, 70, 70 to 75 pounds, and you're at a 28 to 29 inch draw length, I think that you for me, you should be at 450 to 475, 500 Mark's lighter neither one is wrong neither one is right it's what is confident for you for me it is 270 to 280 ish feet per second and so yeah. when i shoot 90 pounds my arrow is heavier to stay at 28 70 to 280 you know mark you're at a little bit different you know you're lighter weight but when you go out in the field it is important that you don't um you have confidence in everything that you have and you have accuracy and so I don't really like, um, within reason we're not hunting elephants, right? Like people bring up Africa all the time. And it's like, literally I do a seminar. I'm like, Hey, out of the 150 people, how many are hunting in Africa this year? Rhymes with hero, which is zero. Right. So I'm not talking about African game, right? Like North American big game moose. I've shot a few moose. I've guided moose hunters even moose it does not take a lot to go through a moose like it takes a little bit but like I would have no issue taking my wife on a moose hunt shooting 48 pounds and shooting a 425 grain arrow with a fixed blade she'll kill it yeah
1: oh yeah for sure
0: yeah I have no doubt and people get wrapped up and man like I can't get on archery talk or any of the forums anymore because it's like man I just can't wrap my head around like yeah, well, and I talked about this on the podcast before. Who are the, let's, I'm, I'm asking Mark Smith, what are the five most lethal hunters that you know of?
1: You're asking for names?
0: If you don't mind.
1: Okay. Um, lethal is like, when they go out, I know they're, they're, they're going to be dead, dead animals. Um, yeah, public well, or private, doesn't matter. Besides me and you <laughs> yeah. besides us. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the top of the heap for me is Randy Ulmer, a longtime friend, competitor, but that guy is just super, super deadly. Um, man, a lot of them are guys that no one will ever know my hunting buddies, you know, Jeremy Duggar being one of Muley Mojo. I mean, he's lethal. It's going to, if he decides it needs to die, it's dead. Um, that's two. um, Danny Ferris being one of them. Jace Bowserman another one. You don't want that guy coming after you with a bow and arrow. You're dead meat. So, Danny, Jace Bowserman, Randy Ulmer, Muley Mojo. That's four right there. Uh, Guys that I don't ever wonder if they're going to punch a tag. I just know something's going to die when they take their bow out and go hunting. Let's just say um, Matt Bateman. Matt Bateman from uh, Grim Reaper. You know him? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Matt Bateman. Super, super yeah. deadly. A guy, yeah, him and Kip Fowler. Yep. Those um, kind of guys. Yeah, yeah. When I think of the top of the heap of they just get it done no matter what, those are some of the guys that can get it done.
0: Yeah, and Matt Bateman and Kip, they 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 shoot Grim Reaper broadheads and not a, a super heavy arrow. Randy Omer, I, I think Randy at, at one time was shooting a an uh, 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 axis four millimeter, I think um yeah. none of them um extremely like heavy arrows i that i know of right i think danny um ferris i'm not sure what danny shoots actually i think he shoots axis um in fact i know i Sure. Axis- i shot his bow because yeah. i had a recurve and there was a giant antelope and i'm like dude i can't get it done with my recurve can i borrow your bow um, don't repeat that,
1: <laughs> but uh, no, it's okay. Yes. Yeah, oh,
0: so, yeah, it yeah. So we, <laughs> what I'm getting at with, with those different guys, none of the, none of that, none of us, none of them, whatever are shooting like crazy heavy arrows. I think all of us are shooting no. mechanicals. I I think, which doesn't matter. Some shoot fixed and there's nothing wrong with fixed blades. Accuracy. No. Accuracy is always King with everyone. And, you know, listing guys, like you've got, uh, brady miller with go hunt um uh ryan lampers uh with uh he, he's partners with gritty go hunt whatever accuracy is king right like that's the biggest thing yep. and so All those
1: guys that's the number one thing yep
0: well and randy who's kind of like for you and i like he's at the the pinnacle like i i copied randy with the whole multiple releases in my release pouch i caught co- you know remember when yeah. randy cut his knocks down back in the day and like people were like sawing knocks off. And then I think uh, a company yep. came out with those to, to pick up like three feet per second. Like,
1: yeah. Oh, crazy. Guy's crazy, but he's just so outside of the box thinker, man. You know, he, 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 he epoxies his sights to his bow. So they never move. He doesn't, he doesn't ever trust screws, you know, he's a crazy guy, but he's crazy good. Yeah, but, but good.
0: accuracy is the big thing. And so when people not, to, I don't want to, whatever, we're at an hour and 20 minutes going all over the place. Like when you set up a bow, you show up at Mark's house or my house to set up a bow, right? And you're a 28 and a half, 70 pound, uh, whatever bow it is. You know, I'm not like the first question is not like you know for me like, hey man, um, what arrow weight do you want to shoot? That's not what I'm worried about, right? I'm I'm worried about accuracy. So we get a moderately weighted arrow, decent point weight, bucking the wind, and we we work on your draw length. We work on your anchor point, peep height, consistency. Like arrow weight is like so f- like it is it is stressed so much nowadays with this foc thing and everything else. It's like look. Hit what you're aiming at. Be consistent. Have good speed. Don't get wrapped up in everything else. And I, I you know, asking you, and I'm not, I, I don't want, I'm not trying to get you to brag, but how many big game animals have you shot with a bow in the last 20 years? And don't fucking lie. Hundreds.
1: Seriously. Hundreds. Hundreds. I don't know.
0: Okay. Hundreds. Mule deer. How many decent mule deer? And and Mark, self admittedly, he's shot. I've seen him. I mean, he's shot big mule deer. But how many mule deer have you shot and elk? That one should simplify Uh, the the number.
1: Uh combined, you combined all the mule deer and all the elk I've ever killed. Yeah, last twenty years. Um. Oh man, close to a hundred. I guess probably. I don't know. I've hunted four states at a time, you know, I, but I, and I'm not a giant killer. Um, my name is Julie Slayer, right? That's who I am on Instagram, but I've known for putting them down and it doesn't have to be giant. I don't shoot deep two points and three points, but if I find one, a good one that makes me happy he's mature, I shoot him. So I have a bunch. So yeah, we're not, but I, I don't know. I, I really would have to go look at my photo album and look at my, I don't know, man, but it's a bunch. <laughs> That's a good problem. I, I, I am being honest, I don't know. No, I don't I, know how many of them. Yeah. It, it's a lot, you know.
0: I've followed <laughs> along with Mark for since the beginning. Have you ever walked off the mountain saying, "Man, I wish my arrow was heavier"?
1: Um, no, never. Not one time in my life have I ever thought that. But I have wished I had lighter ones <laughs> a <laughs> so, couple <of> times. <laughs> have you ever? Have you ever wished like, "Wow,
0: I wish my bow was a little faster because I would have hit that thing when I shot under it"?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish my bow was. You know, when I first started shooting, and I'm not. I mean, I'm a I'm a gold tip guy, but. Before I was a gold tip guy, at the end of when shooting whatever I wanted, I was shooting some Easton FMJs out of a Hoyt 737, and that was the beginning of the end of me shooting heavy shit because a real heavy stuff because of this buck a really nice four by four up in the high country. Um, I misjudged him by five yards. I didn't have a rangefinder handy. He jumped up out of the brush because I got closer than I thought I was. It was one of those mid thirties, between thirty and forty yards somewhere. And I shot him high in the shoulder blade, and he just bounced off with this FMJ sticking. With a so there's, here, here you go. I shoot seventy-two pounds with a freaking monstrously heavy full metal jacket, with a hundred grain mechanical on it. A good, a good mechanical. I think it was a fused Kumasi, which is basically the um, interlock three blade mechanical. It was a good broadhead. I hit that thing high, and he's running off. And I'm pretty sure the only thing in him was the broadhead. In his shoulder blade, and he bounced off with it. And two days later, I classed him up on the hillside, and he had like a little, like some hair missing on that shoulder blade, but there was no sign of it. So I don't, I never found the arrow, but man, I was like, damn, because that was only shooting the 260s. I remember that was like 265 feet per second. I was like, man, I ain't ever doing that again then. So I moved on to, to, uh, I moved on to faster, lighter stuff after that, which. Was the result of me killing that deer at 110 yards with that really, really light arrow. Because I went the other way. I went super light to have 312. I want to be over 300 feet per second with a with a accurate bow, not with a speed bow. So with a Hoyt Carbon Matrix, I was shooting, but I couldn't shoot 70 pounds. So it was just too dang light. It'd be too loud. So I was shooting 65 or 6 pounds. And there it was three hundred and thirty six grains, and I shot that deer through the heart at one hundred and ten. That's why I went that way. And if I'd have had that same setup, I'd have killed that deer. I'd have been lower than the top of the shoulder blade. I'd have been the top of the lungs, and I killed him. Yeah, and no I, doubt. But I, that's yeah.
0: I'm not a fan of FMJs and keeping my. I shoot for Easton, right? I'm I'm a big fan of yep. Axis. I am not a big fan of FMJs. In fact. Yeah. I I uh, you know what I'm gonna stop talking about FMJs because it's just not my arrow. I don't I don't I don't no, like FMJs. No.
1: you can bend them. You can bend them. You can dent them. You can't group shoot them. There's I I shot them and they were good. They're good arrows, but there are better arrows. Let's just say that they're good. Even Easton. I would if I was an Easton guy, I would be shooting Axis over a Full Metal Jacket. No,
0: and I did a broadhead um, review. You commented on it, or excuse me, an arrow review uh, review, and I you commented on it like. Axis is good arrow, but I, there's a lot of good arrows out there. And back in the day when Mark and I started, you did not have, when I say started, when Mark and I were friends, you didn't have, there is no bad arrows anymore. You could find no. bad arrows back in the day. Remember like when we were shooting like super slam selects, that was like the pimped, they had the swedged, you Yeah. Know, yeah. And that like Duravanes.
1: Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, sir. I remember sitting there at Archery Adventures many Friday nights with you, man. <laughs> sitting there eating pizzas, drinking Dr. Peppers and Fletching Arrows, man, getting ready for some spot league or 3D hey, shit. Yeah, those, those are good times, man. And the thing is, win or lose, we just had fun. We had fun. And, man, those were, I, I think about those times a lot, man. Every single time I Fletch an Arrow, I think about you. Because you would use that's where I learned all my one liners from you, man. We'd be <laughs> sat there talking about anything from, girls to politics to other shooters or you know anybody anything man just be like you just get off the wall asking these crazy ass questions and i mean I'm like i'm trying to fletch arrow here i can't stop laughing <laughs> you know like quit, quit talking to me i'm trying to because we back then they'd let us just set up the count and fletch arrows and bullshit and then we as soon as our glue was dry we'd go down there and shoot us a five spot and you know, it was, just, it was just good times, man. We learned a lot along the way from those days, but the equipment has certainly come a long, long, long way from those days. Our, our shooting style never changed. Our philosophies on arrows and shooting styles never change is what I'm learning out of this deal. But the equipment certainly has changed a lot over over 20 years. Like back then, I, I, uh, you know, they were making their short bow. I remember Matthew's that year, the year where we started shooting together, the Q2 and the Q2XL. Came out and, um, you know, they thought a 35 inch bow was their short bow and a 38 inch bow was normal, you know. <laughs> By today's standards, those are, uh, that 35 inch bow is a target bow now, you know.
0: Oh, I'm shooting a 37 inch bow now. It's like I slept with my sister. <laughs> it's uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. But as we're talking about this, and it's funny because you and I now, we've got not to like, like, we're not 80 right? but we've got more good years behind this. We got in front of us and, and yeah. when I, and I've got some guys that work for me, Kenneth and Dan, um, younger guys, right. 20 and 23, 24. And I see like, dude, I hiked in with them recently when, uh, Kenneth was looking for his mule deer. And, uh, it was funny because I'm looking back at like back when like both of them have wrecked their trucks going on hunts, driving in storms like dedicated, yeah. like doing a four day weekend or what? And I'm like, yeah, I remember that. I don't know that I liked it, mm-hmm. but I remember it. Right. <laughs> we were driving around in yeah. your wife's minivan with uh mean Travis. No, it was mean Casey, but Travis in the backseat in a minivan hunting antelope, right. Like doing like Robin yeah. Peter to pay Paul to go to 3d shoots or whatever. But like, that is like, that's where, man, that's the good stuff, right? That's like the things that you remember and where you, what you did to get to where you are because like you know back then you know third access what's that right like there's so many yeah. things that have changed and like a 2312 was the arrow to have back in a day i shot super yeah, slam absolutely Remember the the mm-hmm. Chuck Adams? They had super slams, right, with the unibushing. Then they mm-hmm. they went to the swedge darrow, and then Duravanes yeah. came out, and we were all shooting one point seven seven five Duravanes with like four point seven to seven point two FOC with fifty grain hot points. And uh, yes,
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, Well red hot point,
0: heck yeah, buddy. You could fart on them; they dent, they chip. Remember yeah. that those oh, hot yeah, points? Bro. Like yeah. if you missed,
1: those, uh, yeah, I was shooting those. uh I was shooting some of those, uh, East cosmic eclipse. They were the target version of the super slam. Remember they were yeah, black with the gold speckles all over. Them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> remember it's when speckles. you would, you'd miss with a 50 grain
0: hot point, it probably went from 50 grains to like 43 because of the, the amount of shit that got chipped off of it in the rocks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, also, do you remember the one we went up to Fort Collins to the shoot that day? We were shooting with, uh, uh, it was me and you, and I don't know what group we were with, but I had just gotten one of my first sponsors ever, and I was so proud of it, was with the site company that had made a rest that was on that magnet inertia-driven deal, and it wouldn't drop. Black gold. <laughs> I kept shooting. Yeah, it was black gold, that, that inertia drop rest that didn't drop. It was magnetically held up, yep. but the iner- it didn't work. Like, mine was, like, very – they had just come out with that sight. and that. I and forgot about working. that. I, kept, I shot over, like, three deer in a row, and you're like, uh, dude, you want to shoot my bow? <laughs> like, I'm going to have to, man. I'm standing here with my name and all these sponsors listed on my shirt like I know what I'm doing. I'm shooting over deer at 30 yards, like a foot over the back because that inertia drop rest wouldn't drop. Oh my god! I went home through that in the trash, man. I went straight
0: in the trash and went back to the Trophy Taker, dude. I'm not gonna lie, I, for, I forgot about that. And then, uh, man, we we've been on an hour and a half, but like Trophy Taker, when dropaways first came out, it was it was like a fad, right? Like people are like it won't be yeah. accurate, it won't be this. Obviously, things have changed, you know, since then. But uh, Trophy Taker yeah. was like the the one, right? And yeah, you know, it, as 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 has gone on, like you know, back then. Man, and I, I talked about this on podcast. The Bushnell Yardage Pro Four Five Hundred. It was the size of a Bible, right? The first yep. rangefinder. You want to talk mm-hmm. about high on the hog? You and I both had one, and it literally, yeah, like it looked like Mark was wearing body armor like he had a big chest plate. Yeah. <laughs> remember how big that thing was? And yeah. literally yeah. Yeah. it was it was literally like the biggest life-changing thing because I had hunted an antelope for 3 years with no rangefinder before. And
1: oh my gosh.
0: And then that Yardage Pro, was it a 4 or 500 came out.
1: You remember? Yeah, it went to Yeah, they got the, the farther the yardage, they got it was the it was the 400, and then the 600 got a little smaller. Then by the time they got to a thousand, they were just little. And it was like, yeah, they just kept getting. They got better and smaller. So <laughs> the the first really good one I owned, like I had that big Bushnell 400, it looked like I had, um, you know, it, vortex high babs on my chest, man. <laughs> like it, it looked, was humongous. It looked like you had a Kevlar chest plate on your chest, right? You had to work it's out like to Batman. carry the damn thing. Oh man, I got a lot of pictures of me with that thing around my neck with deer pictures, and it looks just retarded, but uh, or it looks goofy. But then I remember one year, I think in two thousand, uh, maybe three, two, two thousand one or two, no, two thousand two. It was two thousand two. I got a Leica which it in itself was the size of like a small Bible, <laughs> but it, that one thing was 600 yards and had red led in it. And man, I was a high on the hog on that dang thing for a lot of years until finally the little pocket, you know, iPhone diameter size ones came out that we carry now. Like and now I have the same one. I don't know what you're running, but I bought one in 2015. Um, the loophole's, with the um angle finding in it whatever and man it's been the best one i've ever owned i haven't used so- another one since or before dude
0: it's weird with me so like the loophole full draw four i was involved heavily with the testing of that because it was using archer's advantage for the the cut and you know and i bring this up to my wife a lot like when i first met you right which was kind of the beginning of my outdoor i don't know what you want to call it career I yep. never would have imagined I would be helping rangefinder companies design a rangefinder. I helped Leupold and was very significant in the in the SIG, um, with SIG designing their angle comp in their rangefinder. You and I, I remember watching right before I met you and whatever, like uh, Phil Phillips and uh, some of the crew with PSE right? Like, you know, way back, like early 2000s, 1998, 99, whatever, uh, Dan mm-hmm. uh, Fitzgerald. Yeah. Currently, I talked to Pete Shepley. Never would have imagined I would have done that, right? right. Like, it is crazy to yeah. me that this book reader would be in the position I'm in. And then when you get to this, like, one of the things that I look at is like, you know, with, with, with helping design some of these things or whatever, is like, you know, not to change the subject totally, but man, um, when I get down on myself for like stress at work or whatever else, like, dude, we have both had very blessed lives. Like I remember mean Casey and Travis, um, in the minivan, which is Travis is Mark's son and mean Casey is, is Travis's daughter and your son, Travis called your daughter mean Casey, and yeah. I, I remember a cop pulling up or a game warden behind us and Travis had a BB gun cause he was shooting crap out of the minivan saying they're not taking my gun
1: yeah. 20 yeah. some yeah. years yeah. ago. Yeah. I, we, that's where we were antelope hunting and uh, <laughs> we'd slide the door open to the van whenever we'd get out and go, you know, stalk an antelope. Travis would sit back in the car, you know, back then and, he was shooting at starlings or you know meadowlarks <laughs> or whatever from the side of the van with his BB gun while we're out chasing it antelope and uh, we had pulled over on the side of the road I think we we're actually like on the side of Highway 24 out past Peyton somewhere glassing an antelope trying to figure out what door to go knock on and this state trooper pulls up to see if we're okay is what he's doing and he's walking up and Travis goes he's not taking my gun. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I he was serious he's not thinking my gun he's like no he, i don't think he wants your gun matter of fact put that gun down
0: <laughs> it's it's just crazy looking back at everything and uh you know where we're both at you know now or whatever it's just it's crazy because like you know with the d- design and different you know whatever like it, it's just it's wild because nowadays like it, um information is so easy whether it be social media youtube or whatever we're back then before when you and I first started, there was no range finders, right? Like in the mid 90s, no, you remember you dialed that no. thing and like it'd have like these two lines, they line up,
1: and then you're like, Yeah, 20- yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I was like, I can't deal with that, no. And Pete Shepney carried one, you know, back in those videos, he had a range finder and I and he carried in this pouch made out of caribou hide, um, in 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 the 80s in those big VHS tapes. He'd pull this thing out. and He'd dial it, dial it, dial it. i like, oh, that's cool. So I got my hands on one. I'm like, man, Pete Chaffey's smarter than me because I can't even figure out. I don't. I ain't doing that. But then when the laser rangefinder came out, um, I don't believe, or I do believe, none of us in this industry would be who we are, or where we're at, with the success we've had without a rangefinder. I just don't think we would have. There's some guys that were just good at it that that got it done. That are the old school. They'll shoot under 50 yards, and me and you both can judge an animal and shoot it out to 50 yards, but it's just laying that laser. It's just putting that precise broadhead on that hair. We want to hit at 72. That's where the rangefinder really, really comes in, and it it changed the game. You see that a lot. Game changer. This is a game changer. Old dogs like us, we're like, look here, son. I know what a game changer is, and that right there gadget you just bought is not a game changer. But let me tell you what is a laser rangefinder. That's a game changer. Dude, I've you talked know, about it,
0: just, it on the podcast, like the most like pivotal game changing, like truly game changing range finder by far. Yeah, like, first, by far, without a doubt. I mean well think about it take away you know whatever mechanical fixed whatever micro diameter shaft speed bows i mean whatever uh spotting scopes without a rangefinder you take that away it literally you're going like almost back to the caveman days like it is literally that much of a difference without a rangefinder and you for people saying oh it's not that big of a deal all right well leave your leave it at home next year Let me know how that pans out for you. Like dude, like you and I, we came up learning how to judge, right? And I talked to Levi about this, right? Like judging yardage like that or or land navigation before GPSs.
1: You and I used to practice He he has a he has a rangefinder in his brain though, man. He He's, he's an anomaly you know yeah, guy. But, yeah yeah fuck that guy no Go i'm ahead. just kidding he's a <laughs> <ripped>. <laughs> he
0: does yeah. but in Levi and i we've hunted together or whatever i've guided him and shit i mean levi's a cool dude but like he can judge yardage really well but most people if you look back for the last 10 years how many times you shot an animal without ranging it like truthfully Man, that rangefinder changed the game forever. For, I mean, for everyone, rifle too. Yeah. How many times yeah, you're, sure. you and I both have whacked some stuff with a rifle? Man, back in the day, 300 yards was a far shot, right? Like 350, mm-hmm. 300. Like we've got guys nowadays, like, I, I, I mean, you know, somebody asked me the other day, hey, what caliber should I shoot? Like, you know what, whatever, sub 500. I'm like, I don't know, whatever you want. I've got friends like John Pinch or Ryan Avery. Like there's guys making seven, eight, 9, 1200 yard shots. You can't do that without no. a without a rangefinder.
1: I'm not that guy. I Mm-mm. just go
0: closer. I'm not smart enough to use a ballistic turret. I just get closer. But
1: I would love to be a long range shooter. I just have nowhere <laughs> I couldn't practice enough to be good at it. And that's why I don't that's why I shoot a two fifty seven Weatherby and I only hunt deer with a gun. So um out to five hundred, I know just to hold and shoot it. I don't have to worry about it. I don't need nothing. I just need that gun. But that's why I shoot it is because of the speed. But I'll be honest, if if we if they you know like they outlawed game cameras and they're you know we we went so far and now you're starting to see it go backwards a little bit now. No trail cameras, no scopes on muzzleloaders in a lot of these western states no more, and they're going backwards a little bit. If they ever said you can't legally use a range finding device for hunting, which would be super for unethical, unethical in my opinion, to be very poor on any game of fish <laughs> to say, don't do that. But if they did, I would 100% go back to try. I would just be a tried bow hunter. Cause if I'm going to have to get close, I'm just going to go set 15 yards from a bait pile and shoot stuff in my recurve and call it good. Cause I, I, I'm man, I just, I know how reckless it can be without a range finder. If you're just out judging and shooting highs and lows, man, I just, I wouldn't do it. I just, I, I've done it too long with one to say, I, yeah, I'm not willing to give that up. And if I have to give it up, then I'm going go to go the extreme. I'm probably going to hunt my recurve. I love that too. You know, that's just my, that's my take on, on range finders. But I don't even know how we got your range finders, but man, it's a good subject. These <laughs> guys take it for granted today. Anybody been out in the last 10 years, it's just standard. You buy a bow a release and you're going to need a range finder. Wow. Those were those, that wasn't even a sentence for me or you in the beginning. Well, let's look, it wasn't there.
0: Well, let's let's like really date ourselves. What was the minimum wage when you were eighteen?
1: Um, three. Uh, I'm gonna say right at three dollars an hour, maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah, three twenty-five. Yeah. I think was
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, I got. Yeah, I was buying. I was when I, my senior year in high school, I was buying gas at the Gulf gas station for eighty-six cents a gallon.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> and you know, I'm not trying to do the uphill both ways with three feet of snow on the ground, but like truthfully be happy. Like, like right now people like, Hey, they'll message me. I'm like, Hey, I'm looking for a range finder. What's the best one. And I'm like, you know, I list like three. And then I think like, you know, I go sit down, hang out with my wife. And I'm like, I remember carrying a Bible on my chest just thanking God it was close (laughs) with no angle comp whatsoever. Right. Like having a cut chart on my forearm of like trying to do math, like hmm, seven divided by pi. Yep. It's 47 yards.
1: You don't have that. Oh yeah, man. No, remember before those came out when Anthony Dixon started doing the um, the uh, the FMP boys there on the Wasatch. He had that he had that dial he mounted on the side of his rangefinder and had the cut chart on his on his uh, arm. Bar. Yeah, I, I went I went that route and I was like, while the deer's walking off, I'm still over there with my calculator. I'm like, screw that shit, I'm shooting. But man, when they came out with the and the the angle compensation in the rangefinder that was the next game changer because you were having to cut yards. And, 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 and I'm not to practice that. Like if I go audit hunt with you, I'm looking at some of those clips y'all were looking off of. Um, I'm going to have you just probably have you tell me which pin to hold, man. <laughs> Cause like today I was listening to your podcast today. I was on the treadmill this morning for my lunch break. And I listened to you and Levi and you were talking about the seven yard, seven and a half yard shot on your, um, audit. And I stopped. I swear to you, man, I'm not lying. I'm not lying to you one bit. I think I even texted you. I stopped my treadmill because you you've made a bet. You said, I'll bet you, you can shoot your your 100 shots. And me at seven and a half with my compound, I'll never miss a golf ball. And you with your recurve, you'll eventually miss the kill zone on a, on a deer-sized vitals. And I'm like, man, I wonder where I would hit. I haven't shot seven and a half yards since I was in my field field range days, right? So I literally walked in my bedroom, my, my hunting room, grabbed my bow, grabbed my release and one arrow. I walked outside to my block target and I stepped back seven and a half steps, turned around and I drew back and I just looked at it. And I went, oh man, that's like shooting the bunnies at the field range. I would use my 30-yard pin. It's like 27-yard shot. I put my 30-yard pin in the middle of that. So I was shooting at a block target. And on the side of the block target, it's written, you know, block is one of the words you can shoot at. And so the top B, the blacked out top part of the B, it's about the size of a marble. I aimed at that with my 30-yard pin, freaking put my arrow right smack in the center of it. I've taken that shot on that odd ad a thousand times over, man. <laughs> Just so you know. But it's knowing where to hold. Because if I have put my 20-yard pin on that, guess what most guys would do? They'd have said, oh, man, that's only seven yards. i got to hold my 20-yard pin really low they'd have smashed that rock right in front of that odd head. Those are the guys that are going to blast you for shooting them. No, you knew to use 30 yard pin at seven yards. Cause it's like shooting the X's out of bunnies. Right. Yeah. No, so I, mean, about, I don't I, know why I just wanted to tell you that because I don't know if you knew that or not today. I actually did that. <laughs> well,
0: I put my, I put my 20 yard on its ear 30. What you're talking about as far as that goes, but Yep. That, that podcast, that hunt was insane, you know, hunting with those guys and that stock, because once Justin, Hannah and Levi killed their Owl dad, like I was up and it, it was comical. Cause I'm, I'm really aggressive, right? I'm, I'm not, um, like, oh, yeah. like my, my business partner in the outfitting stuff with Scotty, he's uh, he owns topo Texas outfitters, right? He's on the Valley floor throwing his phone yelling at me. Cause like I got a text where that the sheep was. And then we lost service. And I'm like, you know, like fix bayonets stand online. Let's move in boys. Let's go. And so like, we're all moving in. Well, the sheep had moved. And so Scotty can't get a hold of us. The sheep had shifted down. He's like screaming at me for aggressive. And I look up and I see a sheep eating and I'm like, Oh my goodness, that's a 15 year old Ram. And he's, he's chewing on his cud. And uh, (laughs) Levi's behind me. And I'm like, Oh, we're done. He takes a bite and I'm like, we're not done. He puts his head down. I pull my release out. You know, I've got an arrow knocked already. And I'm like, okay. So he takes another bite and we're up against a rock wall. And I'm like, okay, I get to full draw. We're good. I draw back and I'm like, he just chewed again. But we you know, you know, keep in mind we had sheep above us, in front of us, behind us, below not behind us, below us, everywhere, but what like behind us. And so I'm like, okay. This ram is, he doesn't know we're here, right? He doesn't see us. I'm like, okay. Right. The click goes off. He doesn't move. And literally, you can hear the click goes off. He takes one more bite. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're dead. And I got blasted a, a little bit about that shot, but I put my 20 yard on its ear. 30 yard was like, wh- right where you talked about that, three and a half inches, three inches down. You know, done deal. He died on impact it was amazing like when when i did the podcast we talked about that is like hey let's like put like uh, i mean you like 40 yards what's your group at 40
1: mine yeah with a compound oh on the average i can keep them you know i can keep them all pretty much in the x on like a field hunter yeah so that you shoot there so oh it's a couple inches two two and a half
0: inches by 40 yards smaller than than a baseball yeah 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 so like what i was trying to explain to people it's like hey look seven and a half yards man if i can't shoot a golf ball at seven and a half yards like i've got problems <laughs> right that was my whole point yeah. to that this, so right
1: but yeah he broke his neck killed him dead instantly didn't you i could tell where it hit it's oh it like dropped him dropped him over you can see like yeah.
0: if you anyway. look at you look at levi's video or his face he's like holy cow so but um yeah, that's cool man yeah but man we we've been on for an hour and 45 which is probably more time than i should take away from you and your your family and your wife but man i can't i can't thank you enough for hopping on again um i think we hit everything that we hit the first one and more and uh man i just i thank you for your friendship i thank you for you know whatever and, you know hopping on the podcast the phone call the other day you're a good dude i i just appreciate you man thank you
1: yeah no you're a good man and you're in a good space right now and, and i love what you're doing with your brand and your businesses and i just want to get to hunt with you some more uh, if nothing else just so i laugh a lot because man I, I sure do laugh, laugh a lot when i'm around you with you it's just good times and man i i do and um anybody out there wants to uh follow along on my adventures and see Aaron make fun of me on my post. I'm newly slayer one on Instagram. Oh, that's the one thing. The last thing we'll talk about is you were going to make fun of me and talk about my face painting skills. And the reason <laughs> <laughs> my face looked like that is Travis was, that's when he first started getting target painted really bad in 2012. And he I took him on his first backcountry elk hunt and I was wearing a, 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 a half face mask, you know, a pull up like face mask. And I called this little raghorn bull in and Travis shot between his antlers at 54 yards and the bull turned around and ran back off the hill. And I pulled my face mask off and kind of threw it on the ground by my pack and went down there to ask him what happened. And he's like, ah, I missed him. And I was like, what happened? He goes, I got the pin closed, closed my eyes and just ripped the trigger. I'm like, oh, I'm glad you didn't hit it. (laughs) (laughs) And so right then this bugle rips off down below us. And I looked and I heard bull and a bunch of cows. That little bull had come from that herd that we, we didn't know they were down there. That little bull come up. And so, I ran down there, and Travis had his pack on, but I left my pack where it was at with my face mask. And I'm fixing to go down there, and, and I told Travis, he goes, "I'm and all I want to kill is a big six point bull. You kill anything else with well, a herd bull, the big six point bull." I said, "I want to go kill that bull." And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, go kill him." And he goes, "Hey, um, you, or I, I lost, damn, I left my face mask up there at my pack." And he goes, "Here, I got some Carbo mask in my pocket." So he pulls out Carbo mask, which is a gel. And he squeezes a glob in my hand. And I just reached up and smear it on my face. And I took off after that elk. That's why my face looked like that in that elk picture. Because there was no artistry to it whatsoever. It was just me <laughs> with no mirror, or nothing, just rubbing something on my face and going, man. But I knew you were going to bust me on that. That's why I wanted you to know what happened on that one. But I got the bull, so it don't matter what yeah, my Yeah, I was going to say, like. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, bulls on the
0: ground, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Put charcoal on well, your man. face. So man I, well i can't i can't thank you enough dude i just super super appreciate everything appreciate your friendship and and uh yeah can't thank you enough
1: hey aaron my pleasure man let's do it again sometime
0: all right sounds good and uh i'll get uh, I, when i get down to texas i'll get a hold of you as far as um we're definitely gonna hunt together soon man so definitely
1: all right buddy i appreciate it
0: all right man take it easy
1: all right i'll talk to you later
0: all right later